everyone, welcome back to The V Word. Vagina, vagina, vagina. This is Dr. Jen. And Dr. Erica. And today we are talking about something super exciting. Um, it's a topic that's sort of peripherally women's health related in that you don't typically talk to your doctor about it, but we know you're doing it or have done it and it's not really discussed medically unless there's a problem with sex. It is, we're talking about masturbation. Yay! Yep, sexual pleasure delivered to you by you, masturbation. And we'll get into some of the history about why it's often considered taboo, some numbers and facts about it, and how we can even prescribe it sometimes in certain situations. But first, the news. The news. Okay. Uh, me? Me. I think it's you. Okay. This is, it's news in that it was in news articles, but I don't think it's news to anyone, <laughs> okay, if okay. that makes sense. Okay. okay. So the headline of this article that I pulled from L magazine is doctors have finally ruled menstrual cramps as painful as heart attacks. What's your, what? what's your impression? Yeah, not news. Not I feel news. like, who knows? I mean, yeah, everyone's pain is different, right? So I'm reading this thinking there's going to be like some kind of like research article. Yeah. And they've done like some kind of study, right? No, no. It's literally just some guy, some guy, I'll give you his name. Um, doctor or professor of reproductive health at University of College London, John Gillibaud. So some, you know, physician expert who told a news outlet that he's had patients who've described pain as painful as heart attacks. And I'm like, well, first of all, that's not news. But second of all, what? duh. But also like the, I feel like that has to be people who've experienced both, which there shouldn't be too much overlap, hopefully, right. of those. Right. Because then you're talking about like young people who yes. have heart attacks, but still have menstrual cramps. Or someone who's older, I guess, who's saying their heart attack was less yeah, painful maybe. than their menstrual cramps used to be. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I could see but that. But I think that is the good job, Dr. Whoever. Whoever. Um, <laughs> because menstrual cramps can be debilitating. I mean, we see people totally. all the time that have to stay home from work, can't get out of bed, um, yeah. are on very serious pain medications to cope with this monthly. Yeah. So, you know, if it's going to bring it to the national spotlight, fine. I'm all for it. So that's so, my little tidbit. That's fascinating and weird. Yeah. But well, we're, we're going to have to talk about You know why I periods. don't have cramps? Do you have yeah. cramps? You know why I don't have cramps? Actually, I know that you are in the same boat. No periods. Because I've got an IUD. Yep. Exactly. No periods. We no should periods, talk about that. No cramps. Yeah, yeah. That's next. Well, not, not, not next. next. We have so up. many things to talk about. <laughs> okay. My news is my news is about the caravan, um, and it comes from a CNN article by Ariane DeVogue. It is not something that I think of as directly affecting women, but one of the policies that the Trump administration has come out with is asylum seekers can no longer say that domestic violence is a reason they're seeking asylum. So they actually can't say domestic violence or fear of gang violence are reasons they're seeking asylum, which is fascinating because that's a lot of the reasons why people flee their countries because they're worried about their personal safety. I'm feeling like we already did this. Did we not do this news? Or maybe it's just I've been thinking about this for a while. Well, this was a guidance in July that was oh. for the for the um, Border Patrol officers. Okay. And then okay. in addition to that, he said, um, we want you to consider whether they entered the country illegally and factor that into whether or not you're going to approve their case for asylum. So if they're crossing the border illegally, they'd be less likely to be approved for asylum. So this is like a whole other problem. Okay. But oh. what happened recently is a federal judge that became policy in November, November 9th, the Trump administration said, like, this is no longer guidance, this is policy. And right you know, with the midterms. And then a federal judge in the U.S. District Court of Northern California announced that that was um, not 
not constitutional and put a um, temporary restraining order on that policy Okay, nationwide. so it's, it's moving up through the courts. It's moving up through the courts. But it's unclear how that will affect all these people, the 2,000 people coming from Central America who are in Tijuana and the 3,000 people who are in Mexicali, Mexico, who are trying to cross the border right now and getting tear gassed with their children at the border. Um, and I don't know, my all these images of women with their kids fleeing domestic violence and then being denied asylum at our border just like makes me. I know. Ill. I feel like my Instagram feed is really confusing to me right now because I'll like scroll through and it's like beautiful foodie pics of wonderful desserts and then like a child getting gas. I'm like, whoa, yeah, what the? Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't do it. I just can't be online. And I just think we need to keep centering, you know, the families of immigrants, the families um, that are being separated in our discussions of women's mm. health. So I wanted to talk about that. Okay. But, sorry. Back um, to masturbation. Back to masturbation. Oh, good. Nice transition. <laughs> okay. I want to talk a little bit about the history of masturbation because yes, there is history here. People have been masturbating since the dawn of time and that is not, I mean, there's nothing interesting there, but I think what is interesting are the social, religious, and the moral constructs that we've made around it. Um, so masturbation or sexually stimulating your own genitals has over the course of centuries been the subject of legislation, social controversy, and activism. And you see that there's, you know, widely varying social and cultural views about masturbations. Um, and those too change over time. So it's not just that it, things are changing over time, but things are different in different societies, cultures, religions, and that has a progression too. So, But let's, do, let's take it way back to a little bit of ancient history. So there are depictions of male and female masturbation in prehistoric rock paintings actually from around the world. Um, and don't worry, we'll put up some on the Insta for everyone to see. The ancient Sumerians actually had a very relaxed attitude towards sex and believed that masturbation enhanced sexual potency for men and women, and they frequently engaged in it both alone and with their partners, um, which is sort of different than how masturbation was viewed later yeah. as sort of decreasing potency. Sure. Like, you might run out. Right. Until um, run out of your masturbation yeah. skills. Um, and, oh. <laughs> and then male masturbation was an even more important image in ancient Egypt, uh, when performed by a god, it could be considered a creative or magical act. For example, in some stories, the god Atum was believed to have created the universe by masturbating to ejaculation. What? And that's how we all got here. The end. <laughs> the, the end. Okay, wait. No, actually, I have another um, ancient masturbation story, too. Are you ready? Uh, yes. Okay, this one's about Cleopatra. So there's some speculation that Cleopatra would fill up a gourd with bees and then sort of let them do their thing. Yikes. I just envision that. Oh. I don't even, I'm like, what size gourd would fit? I don't understand. And like a squash? Anyway, oh whatever. Bee sting? That sounds like a specific type of interest. It's a vag, oh, it's a gourd. I thought you were talking about a gourd. Like a vaginal gourd? Oh no, I know what a gourd is. <laughs> okay, supposedly she died from a bite from an asp, um, but snakes were considered at that point too, like makeshift vibrators. So who knows? Like, I don't know. I'm just saying, what if she put a snake in her vagina and tried to get a little freaky and it killed her? Wow. If you know better, tell me. Maybe that's not right. <laughs> we are not. Um, I'm not a Cleopatra historians. expert. Okay, look, this is not a podcast about Cleopatra. Maybe it should be, though. Okay. Okay. So one of my sort of favorite um, times in masturbation history is that <laughs> during the... One of my favorite times in masturbation history. <laughs> you like that phrase? <laughs> um, was in Victorian times when 
everyone was super repressed and masturbation was very sinful, doctors would actually administer pelvic massages, quote, to women to relieve their, quote, hysteria. Creepy. Creepy. And sounds like a little familiar with, like, the Nasser thing. It's, like, a little creepy to me. Um, Gymnast creepy. Yeah. But hysteria, of course, is being anything from insomnia to nervousness to muscle spasms to shortness of breath. And so to solve this issue, doctors would go around essentially masturbating their female patients to relieve them. Disgusting. I mean, I don't know. I I hope it was consensual, though. I'm sure... I mean, given that, like, the term hysteria is a made-up thing, it probably wasn't. But also, like, a lot of sex in Victorian times was not so woman-centered, I would say, so. Well, just since the dawn of time. Okay, so let's talk some numbers. Jen, what percentage of women do you think masturbate? Like, regularly or ever? And how do we even, like, how do you know those numbers? Yeah, well, you're right in that it's hard to estimate exactly. But we know that overall masturbation is, is very common among women, and that it's normal to start young, and that there can actually be a lot of health-related benefits. So how I know this is there's one study from the Archives of Pediatric and Adolescent Medicine that found that about 43% of 14-year-old female teens have masturbated, and that number goes up to about 60% by age 17, so pretty common. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, yeah. And (laughs) And interestingly, this study also points out that among women, masturbation in childhood and adolescence has been associated with positive sexual experiences later in life and a healthy self-image. Yeah. Which sort of makes sense, right? Like, they know what pleasure feels like. Um, They also noted in a study of adolescent females that those with negative or indifferent views about masturbation also reported negative first sexual experiences compared with those who held positive views of masturbation. I think it's hard because you're talking about studying like an adolescent population and it's normal to think of like in our society when we think of like 17, 18 year olds having sex, no one sort of bats an eyelash. But when you think about like a 14 year old masturbating 15 year old, it kind of like makes you feel like a little bit weird. Although all I feel like not if you make it a boy, like everyone is like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Like 13 year old boys. Of course, there's like, of course, they can't help it everywhere. Oh, that's so true. It is. It is like that. It's a girl that we think that way anyway I mean one of the things that people talk about when they're talking about masturbation is how it's one of the safest forms of sex right because you're having sex with yourself so if we're if what makes us sort of like squeamish is the fact that these are like young people putting themselves at risk or doing things they're not ready to do well then right how do we know I mean and I think that kind of leads into that like the thing that's making some people squeamish is just that women are sexual beings not that there's anything unsafe about it right Right. um I I think it's fascinating too I think a lot of like how we interpret ourselves and the world um around us is shaped by these lenses and those environments and cultural norms in which we're raised so you know going back to what you said about how if you started your life with this positive idea about sex and sex um Uh, touching your body, being familiar with your body, knowing what makes you feel good in terms of pleasure, that acceptance starts young, then it makes sense that later on in life you wouldn't be like have any holdups about it or, you know, be really... Or like tolerate sex that wasn't pleasurable, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. Why would you involve a partner if you already know what pleasure is like by yourself and they're I don't not, need a partner. Well, just like if they're not doing that, then right. be right. more vocal. Sure. So despite this being incredibly common, masturbation, surprise, surprise, is still highly stigmatized. Um, and it's a topic that's often viewed pretty negatively and with feelings of guilt, shame, um, indulgence. And that's by, you know, like religion, the public, the media, So as an example of this, in 1994, when the U.S. Surgeon General, um, Jocelyn Elders, recommended 
including masturbation as a topic in public sex education. She was heavily criticized and ultimately resigned um, from her post because of the fallout. I mean, unfortunately, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I think, again, is, like, so gendered because it is pretty easy for men to, like, all... This is why we think, like, all 13-year-old boys masturbate because it's pretty hard for them not to have their penis, like, accidentally rub against something and feel good. (sighs) Seriously. But, like, it's a little bit more complicated for women. And so the idea of having an education about it is, like, or denying people education about it is, like, really not denying 13-year-old boys on how to masturbate. It's really denying 13-year-old girls and that how to be so familiar with their bodies. So we've had we have this earlier episode on sexual health education. I think it, it talks a little bit about how sex and sexuality is portrayed in public schools. Um, and interestingly, the Sexuality Information and Education Council of the United States, the SIECUS, has guidelines that, that sexuality education includes masturbation as a key topic. But in reality, it's often omitted, even in the context of abstinence only education where you're telling people look you have these sexual urges but don't act on them because it's dangerous oh my gosh but how is this dangerous to be you know because sex is like people just think sexuality is dangerous like that's like a thing in our society it's crazy especially sexuality of women mischievous yeah in another study of in the journal of ambulatory pediatrics healthcare providers were also shown to admit discussing masturbation with their teen patients in that study, 64% of children, 12 and older, were having discussions about general sexuality with their healthcare providers, but only 6% of them were addressing masturbation directly. And that doesn't break down boys and girls, so I'm curious. I wonder if, like, all 6% is boys. I don't know. I mean, I don't have a ton of teen patients right now, but I would say that's not, like, a topic I want to make sure I touch on with them, right? I'm interested, too. Um, you're, so your partner's a pediatrician. I'm interested, like, what his thoughts on on this too because I can totally understand where these low numbers come from um, because there's not a place in medical school where we learn directly about masturbation. It's not a, a routine part of even your doctor's sexual health training, which is insane. So even that 6%, that has to be them these people sort of applying themselves and realizing, hey, I need to be talking about this with people. Well, my my partner is a pediatrician, and he, I know, um, would often, because he's a male, he would often get the, like, adolescent boys sort of, like, um, filtered. Would, filtered into his yeah. appointments. And he did talk to a lot of them about, um, like, questions about penis size and penis normality, but I don't yeah. know if he would, like, and I'm, I feel like masturbation could come up with that, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it's, like, a point that they touch on it. Like, make yeah. sure your 13-year-old well child check, you're talking about this. But make maybe sure he doesn't have be, any right? hang-ups about sex. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into some questions and answers about pati- that we get from patients about masturbation or that we wish we got from patients about masturbation. So what is an orgasm, Jen? Aha, a time-old question. In general, an orgasm is sort of this release of sexual pleasure that sort of happens at the pinnacle of sexual activity. Uh, People can be confused a lot about like, have I had an orgasm? Have I felt it? And you hear people say a lot too, you'll know when you've had it because it does feel like it's this intense emotion of um, pleasure. And why exactly that happens medically is sort of hard to say because there's multi, it's multifactorial. There's many, um, parts at play here. So I'll sort of break it down. Uh, One of them is clitoral stimulation. So the clitoris is a bundle of nerve endings that's in the front of the vulva and that, similar to a penis, will swell, enlarge, and become more sensitive if a person becomes uh, sexually aroused. 
A stimulation of the clitoris is probably the easiest way for most people to experience an orgasm. So one study from 2017 showed that of over a thousand U.S. women, two-thirds of women having heterosexual sex reported that they required clitoral stimulation to orgasm during sex. So that actual gland, stimulating that actual gland is necessary to feel that release of sexual pleasure. The other way that people feel sexual pleasure is through vaginal stimulation. And again, it's hard to say whether it's one or the other or working together. Some people can very clearly delineate that. A vaginally stimulated orgasm is an orgasm that occurs through internal stimulation only in the vagina. Uh, so in that same study that I just mentioned, less than one in five women reported being able to orgasm through vaginal stimulation alone. So, And I think this is where some of the confusion for women, why we get questions from women who are like, do I orgasm? Why don't I orgasm? All these things is because a lot of the images of orgasm that we see in terms of pornography and movies, all sorts of things like that are really from like women who can instantly orgasm from like seconds of deep thrusting only of vaginal stimulation. And we don't really see a lot of clitoral stimulation for women in those images. And so women don't even know, and their partners don't even know, that that's a critical thing for two-thirds, or I would say probably more, women. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, two-thirds that will admit to it anyway, right? I mean, so this goes in really well to our next episode, which is going to be on feminist porn. Yes, stay tuned. We're so excited. We want to say all the things, but we can't. We're keeping it a secret for now. Yes. So let's get to our next question. Is masturbation healthy? Yes. Masturbation is not bad for you. It doesn't make you grow hair in weird places. It doesn't make you deaf or cause infertility. I remember hearing some of those things when I was little. Do you? Yeah. And you also, I I really think this um, myth about like you can lose all of your sexual pleasure by yourself and then not have any leftover for your partner, like your experiences with your partner is like a thing that that women are, yes, that women are told. I specifically remember being like 13, 14 and being like, you're hearing people say like you're gonna go deaf if you masturbate too much i don't even think honestly i knew about masturbation at 13 or 14 Wait, really? yeah i really don't <laughs> this, this is true i want to hear more about your childhood because <laughs> you're from like a really open liberal family like what were they t- no i mean i yeah i feel like i do all about sex with a partner and like all about pregnancy and maybe about birth control but i feel like that was just not a topic we really talked about uh, yeah well no i mean of course i wasn't talking about masturbation with my parents <laughs> Um, okay. You, what else? You can't become addicted to it. In fact, it can actually be pretty good for you. So both mentally and physically, uh, some of the things that are good for you. So when you're, when you have an orgasm, your body releases endorphins, which are those hormones that can block pain receptors and make you feel good. So you can release sexual tension. You can reduce stress. Uh, sometimes people say orgasm helps them sleep better. Also, I'm going to put in a plug. You can strengthen your muscle tone in your pelvic floor. We've talked a little bit about just, you know, some issues that can come from a poor tone in your pelvic floor, urinary incontinence. Um, so that's, you know, another plus. And mo- maybe most importantly, it can help you identify what brings you pleasure and so make you have a better sex life and a more satisfying sex life um, for life, which is a really important part of quality of life for many people. How much masturbation is too much masturbation, Jen? Not a thing. Next. Well, obviously, if it's like you're masturbating for twenty four seven and it's interfering with like your ability to go to work, if or you can't be a hold person. a job, if you can't hold a job because you're masturbating all the time, then that's that's a problem. I mean, but if you can like pay your bills, yeah, yeah, okay, uh, okay. Next question: Can you masturbate in pregnancy? 
Yes, with a small caveat. So if you're having preterm contractions or vaginal bleeding, then I would hold off for a little bit just until it resolves, um, until your doctor gives you the okay. And that's just because when you orgasm, your uterus actually contracts too. And so that could potentially worsen you know, the situation that you're in, whatever it is. Um, okay, I'm gonna go. I'll ask you a few. Can you masturbate with a partner like together in a relationship or is it something you're only supposed to do alone? Yes. So actually that's one of the things that we sometimes prescribe to women is masturbation with a partner because it can help you figure out so much about what you like sexually. Where do you like to be touched? How much pressure feels good? How fast and slow? And learning to orgasm on your own can make it easier to have one with a partner because you can sort of tell them or show them what feels good. I think you have to be open with communication too. That's that's key, right? Yes. With and with all sex, right? Like people who are having good sex are having good communication about sex. That's, that's just true. true. I think that is what good sex is. Good communion. Well, anyway. Topic for another day. Um, what is good sex? Okay. What is the G spot? So, uh, another age-old question. So the G-spot is not super well understood, and its existence has not been, quote, proven. But although the G-spot has been studied since the 1940s, people still disagree about whether it's a distinct structure, definition, or location. The sort of leading theory is that an, it's an extension of the clitoris, which together may be the cause of orgasms experienced vaginally. So it's sort of like the internal um, aspect of the clitoris. Um, that I think gets a lot of, there's a lot of misinformation about like what the G spot is and are you a, not, are you a normal or are you not a normal person if you don't know where it is, can't find it. And I would say more important for women whenever I'm talking to friends or patients about sex is know where your clitoris is. That's a more important place. That's an actual structure. That's an actual structure. And that actually gives people pleasure. So (laughs) the G spot is sort of a concept that is good to think about, but the clitoris is like a real thing to locate and that that you can help locate with your doctor, that you can help locate by yourself, that is important. Uh, you know what? No one's ever asked me, like, no patients ever asked me, can you help me find my clitoris? And, you know, whereas I might be like, what? I would, I'd be into that. I'd be like, yeah, girl, here's the mirror. Let's go look. Yeah, and I honestly think maybe now that I'm talking to you about it, maybe we should, like, be advocating for that more. Like, reasons. I should be like, when was your last pap smear? How are you feeling? Do you know where your clitoris is? Like, honestly, maybe. The, all the questions we get about sex, that... That would be like a great a service. I'm gonna, like, I get, put it on my screening questionnaire. Do you know where your clitoris is? I just ask everyone. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel safe in this relationship? Where's your clitoris? <laughs> Unrelated, hopefully. Okay, um, here's another one. This is so. This is a little bit more um, of a medical question. What is directed masturbation? Okay, so this is an area where we do have some solid medical facts and some recommendations. So directed masturbation, or quote, masturbation training, is a type of education and self-awareness exercise that can be used for women with female orgasmic disorders, um, which can be women who have never had an orgasm, but also women who have lost the ability to orgasm, either like after surgery or pelvic trauma or other things like that. So the initial goal is just to become familiar with your own body, particularly the genitals, and then the person works on identifying areas that are pleasant to touch and then learns to stimulate those areas directly. So included in all of this is the use of um, vibrators, pictures, text, erotic videos, and some experts recommend weekly sessions over a period of five to six weeks as the most acceptable and efficacious plans for people. But I think it's incredibly variable. And honestly, many people can benefit from this, right? Yeah. And 
not every OBGYN feels comfortable talking about this, but there are certain people who definitely make sexual health their, their expertise. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have some of them here working with us. So we learned so much from, but there's also a lot of this is now like digitized. So even if you're not living in a place where you're near some of these experts, you can go online and use services that connect you directly with sexual health experts and people who know more about this. And if you stay tuned for our feminist porn episode Mm -hmm. next, we can talk about how there are people within the feminist porn industry who really see this as one of the goals of feminist porn. Oh, Just wait. I like it. Okay. Let's talk products because I, um, oftentimes with these therapies, you're talking about certain products, um, are recommended, uh, like vibrators, clitoral suction devices, etc. And this isn't to sort of toot any products horn, but one, um, really cool device that I just like telling people about because people didn't know that something like this existed, you, you know, typically is, um, a device called Fiera. And we don't, we aren't sponsored by this or anything. We're just, this is something we actually talk about. It's a hands-on clitoral stimulation device. And there might be other brands similar to it. This is just the one I'm familiar with. We will often recommend this for issues with sexual desire or sexual arousal. So it's not a means of achieving an orgasm itself. It's not a vibrator, but more so it's something to help women who may be already having issues with the pre-orgasm stage just sort of get to that place. And there are so many types of vibrators. There are as many types of vibrators and um, clitoral stimulation devices as there are women, probably. Um, but there and there are sex stores online. There are sex stores in in. Um, but that the people who work in them are really, really well versed at answering the questions about like what people are looking for. And I wish we were better trained on that as OBGYNs, but we're, we're not really. Yeah, right. If you have questions, I think about specific devices, I would just go to one of these stores or even talk with one of those sexual health um, counselors online and to just see if there's certain products that are better for exactly what it is that you need. Um, but overall, so many tools to help you achieve better masturbation. Yep. What else? Do you have anything else you want to say about masturbation? Do you have like a story from when you were growing up about masturbation? No, just like, you know, <laughs> no, not of you. I don't want you to like share personal details. I don't know. Rumors, funny things. No, I keep coming back to this. Like, I really think that people really accept that 13 year old boys are all masturbating all the time. And that there's this like weird thing that 13 year old girls are not like I'm I'm really like stuck on that actually I, you know, I hadn't really thought about that till after so we started talking but that's actually bothering me a lot right now yeah. oh, the patriarchy but I'm so excited to talk about feminist pornography next because I think that this is such a good lead-in to thinking about how there are more and more sort of feminist and empo- women empowering tools to create better sexuality for women. So that's all this week. If you have questions about masturbation or have questions that you want us to answer about feminist porn, um, please send us direct messages or leave us comments in the Instagram. And we'll see you next time. All right, bye. bye. If you've loved this episode of The V Word, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter, at VWordPod, on Instagram, at VWordPod, and send us an email, thevwordpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.